back to the Game of Thrones flashcast where we are giving you a spoiler-filled tour, by the way. So just to know, we're not going to hide spoilers uh, for season one of Game of Thrones, even though we've seen all the way to season seven. And so we know what's going to happen until the last season anyway. Uh, season one, episode four, Cripples, <laughs> Bastards, and Broken Things. And joining me to talk about all those broken things, mostly Tyrion, I suppose, are the following wonderful people. Monty Ashley is here as always. Hello, Monty. Hello, Jason. And playing the part of Brian Hamilton in this episode is Kathy Campbell. Hello. Hi, Hello, Jason. Brian Hamilton. How's it going? I'm hoping to live up to the amazingness of Brian. We shall we shall see. <laughs> well, I'm sure you will. I'm positive you will. Shall we take a tour of the planet or disc or whatever on the back of a turtle in which Game of Thrones takes place? <laughs> um, and we begin in Winterfell, where Bran is dreaming. You can tell because he's walking and he can't do that anymore. And he's chasing a right? raven with three eyes. <gasps> <gasps> what could this mean? Like four years down the road. <laughs> yep, yep. At least they had it right from the beginning. And, and because of the books, we know that they knew what it meant. But it is the first kind of creepy, like something's going on with Bran. There's weird stuff that he's having weird visions. Uh, this is where this is where that starts. Well, do you think it was yeah. important that he woke up right after the uh, wolf got killed? Because mm. the family's supposed to be tied to the wolves in some way, and the show really I would made imagine, it look. Yeah, I would imagine, even if it's not directly, um, because as we've seen, they lay the foreshadowing on pretty thick. Um, and so I would imagine that even if they, if it does not actually have a direct link... It can't hurt to throw that in there. Yeah. Just to be like, look, they're all connected type of a, and speaking a, of wolves, a commentary. Speaking of wolves, this is the uh, easiest time to create them as they are just huskies. Yes. It's the perfect time. <laughs> yes. No CGI needed yet for the dire wolves. Um, we also get, we get Theon here. We get our introduction to Hodor. Oh my yes. God. Every Hodor scene is retroactively tragic now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that, this is the first time that I've seen um, season one again since the very first time. And with all of those seven years of history with Hodor and with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven and all of these characters, it's just like, dang! Mm. All the emotions. Yeah, Rob Stark is also kind of uh, casually mean to Theon, which tells you a little bit about Theon's place in the family, <laughs> and also that Rob is not and necessarily... life. Yeah, and life. It's true. Well, I mean, it yeah. is Theon. Um, mm -hmm. And H Hodor is... Uh, I'm not going to cry too hard for H him. Hodor is very convenient because he can carry Bran around and put him at whatever level, you know, Tyrion wants him to be on, for example. Um, because mm -hmm. Tyrion, in the other scene that happens in Winterfell in this episode, Tyrion is on his way back from the wall. Um, there is a the, the, This gives the episode the title. He says he's always had a fondness for cripples, bastards, and broken things, to which Bran responds, I'm not a cripple. And Tyrion's response to that is, well, then I'm not a dwarf. <laughs> it's like <laughs> funny and awful and all those things. And Tyrion, it's very Tyrion to do that. And, but it's yet he brings so plans Tyrion. for a saddle that they can make. 
that will allow Bran to ride a horse. So that's his kindness. Um, and Rob's kind of being a jerk to him. And he's like, oh, well, since you're so kind, you can stay here. And he's like, forget it. I'm going to the whorehouse. And, uh, yeah. and, the- and which gives Theon a chance to be super savvy and say, well, if you like redheads, ask for Monty Ashley's <laughs> favorite character, Roz. The only whore in Westeros. In this episode alone, we learn that she is Theon's favorite. She is Tyrion's favorite. And she almost took Jon Snow's virginity. Yep. <laughs> she, she is, yeah, she is the hardest working woman in, in all of Westeros. Also, uh, at one point, um, uh, Tyrion calls Rob Theon's master, and Theon says, he's not my master, and Tyrion's like, yeah, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a great little yeah. cutting, cutting <laughs> moment of where he fits in the hierarchy. Yeah, and that's it. That's all that happens in, in Winterfell. But there's a good, you know, little little Tyrion. Um, and I like what it says about Tyrion's character that for all of his talk, he um, he he does really does keep an eye out for cripples, bastards, and broken things. And he he's he's keenly aware, given his status, <laughs> about that. Yeah. And and it is a quite a kindness to say, "Why I just have these plans here for a special saddle yeah. that a kid who can't walk could use to ride around and still feel." Like, uh, you know, he, he'll ride as tall as the rest of them. No, that's kind of nice. It's, it's too bad that yeah. being a Lannister, everybody thinks the worst of him, especially people who are convinced he tried to kill their son. In, but we'll get there. Right. <laughs> I'm saving that scene <laughs> for the end, because that's the big end scene. Yeah. Ooh, what a convenient place yeah, to put so it. Tyrion, we'll get back to him, because he's going to head south now after visiting with Roz, who we've already established is the best at what she does in Westeros. Um at the wall moving to the north we get to meet sam tarley here he is as as you Yay! said as you said last week monty uh portly a uh, bookish sidekick of main character appears i feel like i've seen this somewhere <laughs> before but he's sam well not sam wise totally it's different a whole, we've reinvented fantasy with this thing people <laughs> <laughs> completely fresh new character Some... i've forgotten how how recently he shows up in the first season for some reason i imagined him coming after john had you know done all of this work on the wall but it really isn't that far into the series no, john it's like immediately john finds a friend here and then they asked yeah. the makers by the way of the of the show if they thought it would be wise to introduce this character and they said oh. they would handle it well yeah no okay uh, all right there are no, a lot I, of losers no, i'm on board it took me a minute I, i've decided okay. i like it uh you get some snaps the, my notes are there are a lot of losers in the night's watch again last week what i said was the night's watch sucks and in this one i said there are, there are a lot of losers but john shows sam kindness uh, this obviously they are going to be friends because John shows him a kindness. Although it does lead to a funny scene where he basically says the dire wolf will eat you if you touch Sam. So then they have fighting training or what passes as we Monty pointed out last week as with Alistair Thorne, what passes for training, which is he yells at them fight. And then they, yeah. they fight here. They won't fight him because they're afraid they're being eaten by a dire wolf. And Thorne is, uh, like you guys have to learn to fight. He's he points out again, Alistair Thorne, a jerk, but not wrong. Like yes. that, Sam is completely useless as a member of the Night's Watch, and we know where that's going to go. That they're going to make him useful. The yeah. Meister Aemon is going to make him useful instead. 
Well, I don't mind him being mad at Sam, but he's also mad at John, who's the most potentially useful member. We sort of get a feel in one of the scenes in this episode that he doesn't like anyone who was raised in a castle. Yeah. But we know that John wasn't really that lordly, and we're sure Sam wasn't treated like a lord in his horrifying situation. Yeah, but I think I think that's what part of it is that he has no sympathy for people who were raised in relatively comfortable circumstances but boohoo they're the bastard or boohoo they got thrown yeah. out. Like I think that's part of his his particular I mean he's a jerk, but I think that's part of his particular jerkiness is oh you think you're better than us, but you're not better than us, fancy boy. And and uh and of course Alistair Thorne it's no surprise. He is John's adversary through and through leading up to the assassination of John after he's elected the uh, commander of the Night's Watch. Yeah. So he's a, he's a like, thorn in his side. Huh? Oh, God, uh, I got to stop. Help uh, me stop. Wow, you're on, on yeah, fire tonight. Mm, that's right. Well, <laughs> I just, I the Mad how, King did it. I, I, I wonder how much of Alistair's like personality is because he's in charge of these newbies that come who are just going to turn around and die with the wildlings. Like, yeah, it's a terrible job. You... you yeah, you but, can only put them to so much like fighting training in such a short period of time before they go out and die. Well, then why is he so emotionally invested in hating John? Like, if you know that these guys are just going to be added to the watch and get people killed because they're untrained. Eh. Because John will get to be higher because he has that skill that probably Alistair doesn't. I mean, there's got to be a reason that he has to, he's quote unquote training these little kids. But there's no pleasing Thorn is my problem. Like he says, you're just at first he's saying, you're just boys. You don't know how to fight. All right. And so John starts training them how to fight. And he's like, how dare you teach them how to fight? He's just always anti-John in a way that I don't find super consistent or convincing yeah i mean he is he is just an antagonist and it's unclear it it could be clearer like the thing that set him off i suppose but he is he is he's a guy you're supposed to hate basically because he doesn't like our friends yeah and and that that's who he is and there's no good reason for that hate that you can see yeah, and he and he says in the in the last scene that's at the wall with John and Sam, and they have their conversation, and then they laugh. They're like polishing off with with uh, sand. They're polishing the tables, cleaning the tables in the in the mess. And then Thorn walks in. And he's just got scary stories about oh, you know, you're all gonna die, and they're gonna come and kill you, and, and you're bad. And it's like again, he's he's got some points that he makes that are valid, but he's such a jerk. And has but it he in doesn't for John. change his tune when John pr- turns out to be very valuable and no. competent. Then he's mad at John for that. Yeah. So, but I think that goes back to him hating uh, hating all the uh, the fancy boys. But who knows? Maybe yeah. I, I don't know. Um, let's move across the narrow. Do we scene, know more? We? Oh. Oh, go ahead, Kathy. Yes, we can. We can say. Oh, I was just going to say. I'm going to hover m- over the narrow sea while you talk about Westeros <laughs> some more. I'm Let's just, just fly take here. Some thermals. I'm like a seagull. I'm just going to go in loops as you talk. Go, there, go. there we go. That's not what a seagull we, says. Do we learn any more about Alistair's history? Like, did he come from like you know? a terrible childhood and ended up going to a wall to make money or anything that could have developed that character more. I don't remember. What is the, what is his background? He was a Targaryen loyalist and they gave him the opportunity to be executed or joining the Night's Watch. So he is, he is a a bitter guy. 
Yeah. Because oh, I bet he'd feel silly if he knew he, who he was talking to then. Mm-hmm. A Targaryen <laughs> right. loyalist. Oh, this whole thing. Ooh. I love that angle. I'm, go- I'm going to look at it from that angle now. Now I love it. Oh, the irony. Okay. The irony. Yes. That this, is the, this is the rightful heir to the Targaryen dynasty. And he's, he's uh, get, organizing his, his uh, murder. Mm-hmm. Bad choice. There okay. Across the narrow sea we go. Whoosh. Yay! Uh, Viserys is still super <laughs> annoying. Oh my goodness. He was annoying the first time through, but now I'm just like, is he dead yet? Is now Shout- when he gets to die? I can't, Shouting yeah. within earshot about how they're all savages. Oh. He, like, he obviously grew up in a place with the good people you know, petting him and loving on him and telling him, you know, they're all making these dragon flags in his country waiting for him to come because he's just a little hmm, yeah. special, he, he, special person. He believes all his PR. I think he's been, you know, he's been told by people who want to profit from having the Targaryen, uh, you know, air near them. Um that yeah. uh, about how great it's going to be and how valuable he is and all of these things. And he, he has completely bought into it and is awful. And I kind of enjoy knowing what's going to happen to him. But yeah. this time through, what I really like is how quickly Daenerys moves beyond him. Like it happens yes. so fast. It happens in episode yeah. three, basically. She has already done that. And here, you know, she's asking questions about using the, the, uh, the Dothraki as an army to invade Westeros, which does eventually, you know, very long after this end up happening. <laughs> yes. And we get the, and she's this- really, uh, owned her Khaleesi-ness. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. like if, if the, if the tides were turned, Viserys would have just been like, I am a dragon who is whatever with a Dothraki. Obviously he wouldn't marry into the Dothraki, but go with me here. Um, he would have just, owned his dragonness whereas Daenerys is like has adjusted in any situation that she's grown up in um and so she just kind of embraces and we see this as the future comes mm-hmm. too her clothing changes her hair changes her attitude changes as she absorbs each of these different things into her life and really grows with it we have yeah, that this is go ahead Monty. Uh, this is the second week in a row where Viserys attacks her. Last week, uh, the Dothraki, a Dothraki came to her rescue. This time, she just fights him off herself. Yeah. Yeah, there's the, um, that mm-hmm. scene is like, you sent this whore to give me commands. He's just an awful person. Are you going to dress me now when she's trying to, like, I'm trying to do something nice for you. And this is, uh, it's just such a great moment that he's basically like, you've awoken the dragon. And as I wrote down in my notes, I'm the Khaleesi, so back the fuck off, right? That's basically yeah. yes. what she's doing here. She's like, no, she's, she, no, no, no. I'm, I'm the one who's running the show here brother forget about it and then she says basically like my brother couldn't rule the five kingdoms like she's already got it figured out she's figured out (laughs) she knows at this moment that she has power she is learning she's got a plan i think at this point she knows what she's doing and she knows that her brother who at the first couple of episodes you get the get the sense that she's just buying into the pr she it's all been laid bare now he's terrible he can't do it like she's abandoned the entire dream of Viserys doing anything because she now knows that he is terrible at everything. Well, 
she has other viewpoints too, other worlds. She's outside of this, you know, let's praise Viserys and how awesome he is and the dragons are. And he's, she's seen other worlds, mm-hmm. other um, groups of people that have different viewpoints to the point where she's like, oh, hey, this is more realistic than Viserys actually being successful at mm-hmm. anything other than getting me married off. But to be fair to Viserys, he does appear in the series' first sex position scene where <laughs> they want to tell us about these dragon skulls, but they're worried we'll be bored, so it takes place between naked people in a hot tub. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, so that's what I was going to say is I believe technically this is our official first scene of sex position in Absolutely. Game of Thrones. Um, there were yeah. some naked people running around in the brothel last week, but they weren't hanging around in the background of the shot for no reason. No, literally, <laughs> this is a scene where, where Viserys and the girl are having sex in a bathtub while discussing the history of dragons in Essos and <laughs> Westeros. And um, you know what? I think... So my, we'll see how it goes in the rewatch, right? My memory is that the sex position just got more and more ridiculous over time until they finally stopped. They're like, okay, forget it. We're not going to do this anymore. But this scene, I kind of really like this scene because um, it- they are enjoying themselves, but there's also kind of information banter and download. And I could see how you could see this scene and be like, hey, this isn't a bad way for the HBO audiences to absorb all of our arcane dragon stuff is to have <laughs> it be when attractive people are having sex in a yeah, bathtub. I like that. So you have the raw exposition that you then feed to the audience with sex. But then now that you have a sex scene, you actually can reveal stuff about Viserys's character through mm-hmm. the way that scene ends. So they found ways mm, of yeah. conveying character with that. And I like that a lot. I do not feel like they yeah. always achieve that. <laughs> Well, and it was very believable. Uh, Dorea or Dorea, however you pronounce her name, you could tell that she just is obsessed with dragons. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she gets to serve Daenerys and Vis- Viserys and just like dragons are this amazingly thing. It's, like it's she grew up with a know, dragon embroidered pillow as a as a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's completely believable that dragon talk would make her hot. And so he's like, oh yeah, I'll play on this. I'll tell I you everything names. you want to know. You want to hear the names of yeah. dragons? This is my move. This is my big move. <laughs> yeah, right? Finally, somebody who wants he's to big. hear the names of the dragons. <laughs> and then I realize, oh no, I'm making a connection with somebody. I can't do that i'm a huge jerk yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah or also that she was getting hot just for the dragon talk not necessarily him as the yeah. dragon and That's like true. yeah but we do learn like that the, the idea that the dragons were these amazing magical creatures that really existed but that over time they became like sickly and then like yeah. the last the, i love that imagery that like there are all of these dragon skulls uh, which which get, comes back later because we actually yeah. see in a later episode like where yes. they've stored at, at Dragonstone where they've stored all the dragon skeletons and skulls and stuff. But the, the idea that the last of the dragon skulls were these sad little twisted wrecks well, yeah, of things. We, we also see a dragon mandible out at that arena in season seven, right? Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, they got the bones of the bones oh, of the yeah. dragons. Yeah, 
There was like this tiny little adorable thing. Yeah, so we we get that information, but meanwhile, also they are in a bathtub, and uh, yes, but he he is exposed as being a total jerk, which leads him into the room with his sister, where um, he's just continues to be awful, and she asserts herself, which is wonderful, and yeah, Viserys, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. I I, I really yeah. actually love Viserys. He only lasts to episode six, yeah. so we're we're very very quickly going to meet his end. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, but I have enjoyed it this time through. I think mostly because the first time through, I just kept thinking how terrible he was. And this time through, I'm appreciating how quickly Daenerys realizes she's better than him. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sad about seeing Joffrey because I know how much of Joffrey being Ugh. on top there is before his comeuppance. But yeah. Viserys is getting his comeuppance very, very frequently <laughs> and the big one really soon mm-hmm. so i'm like ah, i can enjoy this jerk <laughs> yep i was also very impressed with the casting um the the person that plays viserys that has ter- very similar facial features as daenerys does it's harry lloyd who's been in a bunch of stuff he's currently on counterpart playing a weasley guy by the way it's almost as if there's a type. <laughs> nice. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's a good match. The, those two, you do get the, that really, you know, b- brother and sister who hate each other kind of vibe from them, which is good. Yeah. Harry Lloyd's great. He, he is, he is really, he does the Weasley guy uh, really well. Very well. <laughs> yeah. So check him out on Counterpart. If you have Counterpart, great show. Harry Lloyd's great in it. Um, to King's Landing we go. We're going to this was not an efficient route but so be it. We're back across the sea now to King's Landing. Warmer climates, Did there we might fly be palm on the trees there. Again, or I don't know. Swim? I don't know. This time we're that meteor up in the sky that seems like Ooh. it should be something really important but nobody really talks about it. Yeah. The comet yes. or whatever yeah. that's the augering. It's big in the books. It is, but, right? But but where it's just like auguring the return of uh, of dragons or magic or something or winter, it's un yeah. But it's it, in the opening credits. They have to pass the camera through it every single time. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. So in King's Landing, Sansa gets the education about the various ghosts of King's Landing. This is another scene in the in the throne chamber where we discuss all the horrible things that have happened in Westeros. <laughs> But it's it's lit so much happier, mm. so that makes it okay. Yeah, you know, there's the sun beaming through the glass stained glass windows, and this is the Septa talking to her about you're gonna you know provide an heir, and she's afraid like what if she only has daughters, and they're like oh we're not gonna talk about that it'll be fine I'm sure it'll be fine. Um. Yeah, so that's just setting up again. It's going to be a tough road for Sansa. She's coupled with uh, with Joffrey now, and he is a monster, and that is not going to go well. We can already see it. Mm. Um, Ned is being helped, in scare quotes, <laughs> by Varys and Littlefinger. Very, thank you for all your details. You guys are very, very helpful. Um, but what he wants to do is hold... Sell back after class to ask about John Aaron and he's like oh well he was reading a book let me show you the book but then he had the sudden illness um, it was a really boring book about lineages in the seven kingdom the seat is strong the seat is strong another weird thing yeah for somebody you to say kept, yeah. before he you dies. just kept saying that like a lot it's I've, more than twice it's kind of gross John <laughs> Aaron. Weird. what the heck is going on yeah. there um 
but again, also, Mrs. Picel gets to do, Julian Glover gets to do his very slow, rickety Picel walk, even though we know that yeah. he's actually fine. We also learn that poison is a woman's weapon, which I feel like they say a whole lot in the books and the series. Like, it's very important yeah. for us to know that. This is their, like, detective strategy stuff. It's like, otherwise you just kill them with a sword or something. But ladies can't do that, so they use poison instead. I guess. That's what they want us to do. Something like that. I guess. Um, then a wonderful scene about Sansa where um, Ned uh, catches her... Uh, she's doing her training, like standing there, and he's like, "Oh, well, you might fall down or something like that." And she's like, "Oh, well, M- Master Florel says this, and Master Florel says that." And then he does the thing where he's like, "Oh, well, you're going to, you know, wh- whatever." It's like you'll, ma- you'll, you don't get to be a knight, but you could marry a boy and have babies who could be knights. And she's like, "I'm not going to do that," which is great. I love, I love her so much in that scene. She's yeah. like, "Nope, I'm not interested in that. That's not me," she says. Ned's trying to be a father, but he doesn't understand the rules at all. So he's like, I got you sword lessons. Doesn't that satisfy your need? And he doesn't realize that actually it's all she wants is to use a sword. Yeah. 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 I I love her so much. I love that character so much. Um, Seeing the Serial Florel stuff, seeing her talk to her dad here and say, it's just such a wonderful scene. She is without pretense here. She's like... No, I I yes. don't want that. That's not. She knows who she is. She knows at this young age who she is, and you could definitely see you know parallels here in terms of modern society of of you know saying you need to conform to whatever society's expectations for you as a person, and having a, a young person say no, I know who I am, and and your expectations for me are not it. Serio Florel, yes. 4L. Oh, f- I thought it was Florel. It's 4L. It's got four L's? That's too many L's. It would be hard to pronounce. <laughs> 4L. For Serio. Master you just got to roll C- the Master L. Serio. I can't roll letters, Kathy. It's not a thing I'm capable <laughs> of doing. Anyway, I, uh, I, mean I, I I love that Sansa knows, or I'm that, uh, that, uh, now, Aria. Aria knows who she is. <laughs> I don't know who she is because yeah. I said Sansa. <laughs> Arya knows who she is and she doesn't hide it from her father. And to Ned's credit, you know, he does get her the lessons. He does let her keep the sword. And uh, and and so really, even long after he's dead, he is responsible for her becoming a cold-blooded assassin. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> it's, well, she does better than some of his other kids. Yeah, she's living the dream. Yeah, that's true. Quite frankly, her dream, which is to murder people. So... <laughs> right but she owns it every step of her personality Absolutely. she's just like this is what i am and doesn't um adjust to expectations that other people are expecting of her you know like her sister does as we've we see throughout everything sansa is very concerned about making sure she's a good queen even if she doesn't want to actually marry joffrey like she's just like okay this is going to happen what happens if i have girls what happens mm-hmm. you know why is he mean etc um ned continues his sort of bumbling through 
various tangled <laughs> political things in King's <laughs> Landing. Talks to talks oh, to Littlefinger. Ned. It's a painful scene where he's like, "Oh, I, uh, I uh, perhaps I was wrong to distrust you." And he's like, "No, no, no. That was the smartest <laughs> thing you did was not trust me." But he, he's I just asking, showed you how many spies there are oh, here, and you're right. still including some of including mine. Some of mine, <sighs> like it, yeah. But but he does oh. get the information about like what was what was John Aaron doing before he died. He went to talk to Sir Hugh. Um, and also visited a certain armorer, so he's going to follow up on those. He sends his buddy uh, to go, his his guy he trusts, who is, um, God, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. Um, oh. Jory? I got nothing. Yeah, it's Jory. Yeah, it's Jory. It's oh, Jory. He sends sure. Jory to talk to Sir Hugh. Sir Hugh is like, ah, but I am Sir Hugh. You can't tell me what to do because he's going to joust at the, at the tournament or whatever. <laughs> he's in the middle of the dumbest thing ever, which appears to just be pacing off the jousting Yeah, he's grounds. pacing the distance <laughs> of the joust, but he's far too busy to talk to the likes of Jory. So instead they go to the armory and guess who we get to see? It's Gendry. Yay! It's the star of the show. That's right, everybody. He's going to come in, in the last episode and <laughs> say, da, 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 I'm da, da, the king da. now. Gendry. And I can also make armor, which I'm wearing now. And you can't kill me. I'm Gendry. Look at this fancy helmet. And of course, because Gendry, you know, does 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 the guy who plays Gendry look like Mark Addy at all? Not really. Which is why they have to, he has no. to, Ned has to go back out to the horse and say, ah, I just found Robert's bastard. Yes. That's yeah. what that was there. Because, you know, he's like, oh, he looks familiar, doesn't he? He's like, mm, no. Not really. I don't, I don't really see it, but okay. Um, there, There's a there's several pounds difference, so the facial features are a little yeah. bit different. So we'll go with that. So knowing what we know now, what is Littlefinger's current plan it looks to me like his idea is that he's going to trick Ned into going public with what he's eventually being led to find out. Is that what Littlefinger's doing? I yeah, I think the way I read it is that he's leading he's leading Ned to find out all of the things about Robert having bastard children and um that helps upset the you know, maybe it causes some chaos that that allows him to make a play. But I mean, but he but is his little finger leading him to the discovery that the Lannister kids or Cersei's kids are Jamie and Cersei's and not Robert. Is it part of Littlefinger's? Pl- Does Littlefinger know that? And is Littlefinger actively helping Ned find that out? Well, the the big thing too is that. You know, he's the one who assassinated John Aaron. So yeah. he's leading Ned to down the same path as John Aaron, who he assassinated. Right. I I feel like we ought to know at this point enough to figure out Littlefinger's motives, and I'm not convinced that we can. Well, I think I so Littlefinger seems to me to be the type of person where he obviously has multiple outcomes that would be beneficial to him. Okay. Um, I think he's doing this for any of the following like solutions. So either, you know, Ned dies and here Littlefinger supported Ned and helped Catelyn and all of this so that he can get in good with her 
as well as supporting Sansa as potential queen. Like he's, he's got his little fingers in everything so that whatever situation comes about, it can, he can win basically. So I don't think he has this one great epic. If this happens, then this happens and this happens and this is the solution so much as he's going to try everything and make a benefit from whatever happens. Ah, you think he's following Shakira's advice. Yes. Uh, I did some wiki update. Wiki update. I just checked the Game of Thrones wiki. That's the wiki update sound. It's also many other sounds that I make. The It is not revealed in the novels why Littlefinger wanted John Aaron dead. There are some theories. One is that makes Lisa free so he can marry her and take control of the veil, which he does, right? To prevent John Aaron from telling Robert the truth about Cersei's children. Uh, or to turn the Starks and Lannisters against each other via the letter that Lisa sends to Catelyn, in which she falsely put the blame mm. on the Lannisters. That that goes with my chaos theory, which is right. use it to yeah. sow discord and chaos. And you know, again, that's his ladder to get more power. But uh, and he his plan about making uh, being able to marry Lisa, who is the closest thing he can get because he's never going to get Catelyn, is uh, that's not, not not a bad idea too. But I I agree, like. It's sometimes unclear what exactly Littlefinger is doing. It's pretty unclear, I think, even to yeah. him. He's just making trouble. What his <laughs> ultimate goal I don't is. think chaos yeah. as a ladder means anything. Yeah. A- anyway, the um, <laughs> he can't talk to Sir Hugh because Sir Hugh gets horribly killed by the mountain <laughs> in a duel. Oh, man. So again, oh. well, there's, as I put down in my notes, well, there's one fewer witness to what yeah. went on. I am super excited about the tournament because I keep trying to figure... I feel like... Okay. I believe that in the world of Game of Thrones, that George R. R. Martin knows who's a better fighter than who. I think there are strict uh, levels. And we actually get to see the seating get established when people talk about tournaments. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, mm, yeah, in this episode, we only learn the mountain is better than Sir Hugh. And that's not anything. But as the, as the <laughs> tournament gets going and the big players actually get out there and fight, I think we learn a lot of really interesting stuff about, you know, who the top rank, where right. your Knight of the Flowers or Brienne or Jamie's really rank in relationship to each other. They uh, yeah. we do get here the story of the origin of the mountain and the hound, the Clegane boys and how the mountain uh basically melted part of the hound's face so good times brotherly love yeah mm. nice yeah nice those guys uh are still around by the way those are the characters who are still around in the end game of this Surprisingly. show yeah, yeah really especially for the one who died and is yet still around um <laughs> also one last moment in in king's landing ned and cersei have what i wrote down as a conversation full of menace <laughs> mostly from cersei yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Ned doesn't really do menace, but he is menaced <laughs> by Cersei here. She's uh, scary. Uh, so, in watching this scene, I am I correct in remembering and recognizing the fact that it was the book was open with a da- the dagger on top of the book? Like, did Catelyn give 
Ned the dagger, um, and he yes. has it just hanging out on the desk. Yes, um, she didn't have the dagger. When they got to King's Landing, uh, Littlefinger said, I assume you've brought the dagger, and everybody gaped because he knows so much. Right. And then right. Sideburns brought out the dagger and gave it to them. Right. Right. And that was when... Oh, sorry. Varys said, I assume you brought the dagger. Then Littlefinger said, oh, I know something Varys didn't. I know whose dagger this yes. is. It's mine. Tyr- Tyrion won it from me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that is why we currently believe Tyrion to have had the dagger. Right. Which is a um, setup. Yeah. And I feel yeah. bad that I have all this dagger information because I really feel that this is the plot that most just gets 100% dropped at some point and nobody ever comes back to it. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm wondering... So the dagger's on top of the book, on top of his desk, when Cersei's coming and menacing. Does Cersei know and recognize that dagger? She doesn't give anything to give it away, I don't think. Yeah, it's not anything, like, she doesn't react at all to it, but it makes me wonder, like, how that affects things in the future. I mean, obviously, he's going to die no matter what, but, like... Because doesn't the didn't they set up Tyrion with the dagger? I'm trying to remember. I think it was Joffrey. Like, I think you think I think Joffrey did the assassin on his own, and then Littlefinger is just causing trouble by right. blaming Tyrion. Boy, we are making some people who know all the details really angry right now, which is kind of our trademark. I'm really angry, <laughs> but I think I think this is the challenge. Feel free to a, yell at the phone. As a casual viewer, it is kind of hard. You you follow along the the details of it right um but it it is twisty and turny and by the time we get a solution to it it's kind of beside the point because plot wise the reason this is all happening is because they want Tyrion to be taken and set up the dynamic where the Starks and the uh, Lannisters are going to turn on each other which basically ruins everything right yeah that Caitlin's going to overreact yeah, exactly right. Pretty soon now. Very soon. Very, very soon. Yeah. Anyway, you can write in and tell us why uh, Littlefinger does what he does and who assassinated Bran and why, and we'll probably just nod yes, and please. be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'll remind okay, you that I only watch the show, so if it happened in the book, I don't care. Yeah, that's true, too. Uh, yeah, I, true I too. don't feel that a television show that spends this much screen time should need... 6,000 words, uh, sorry, 6,000 pages of additional reading for its yeah, plots to make sense. I, I agree. It, it does need to make sense. And it's. A, I think if you follow it, it probably follows, but it's uh, twisty and turny and kind of beside the point of what they're trying to tell right now. And then we do come back to it later. But, you know, in the end, in, in the end, if four years later, Littlefinger says, oh, yeah, that was me. Or Vera says, oh, that was me. Does it matter? Like four or five years later? I don't know. I don't know. Everybody's already dead at that That's point anyway. Say. Um, yeah. <laughs> one last scene on the road, Tyrion arrives at an inn, he sees Catelyn and calls her out, uh, and she is under the impression that he is the one who tried to murder Bran, so she does this power move where she basically points at all the people Oof. and their little uh, sigils that they're wearing and says, you, <laughs> you are a friend of my father's and you are close with the Starks and you know the phrase. Everybody loves the phrase. How is Walter Frey doing? I'm sure this won't matter <laughs> no. later. Last week we mentioned, as you know, Bob scenes. Yes. And Caitlin does a speech that is just all... <laughs> 
I'm going to tell you about who you are and who your father is. And I'm going to do the same thing to that guy and that guy and that guy. Well, I see it as I like it because it's her shame. She's basically shaming them. Like you have yeah. to, you know, you're going to do what I say, right? Which could be read like initially. I had forgotten what the what the turn is here. I was like, is she afraid that now that she's been outed, she's going to be a target? And it's like she's immediately getting these guys on her side, like right there in the room. She's like, you need to work for me, and you need to work for me. But she is also telling them like who their father is. It's yeah. true. Well, almost everyone. Well, and she's we also. also- proving her history like the fact that she is this highborn lady and that yes she is you know lady of winterfell but she still is connected to all of the different areas that are local to the inn itself and so she's like dude you gotta love me because this is my dad you support me here you support there i know this person look at all this history i know so hey can you do the dirty work for me and of course, there is somebody else in that uh, place that doesn't necessarily owe her loyalty, and it's Bronn. Bronn's in this show already. Oh, I didn't even notice. That was Bronn who was willing to give oh, up his yeah. room to Tyrion. Oh. When Tyrion's like, "Can I? I got gold. Does anybody uh, have a solution?" Right. Bronn is the one who says, "I'll take it. You can have my room. I got you." Because they got that's right. And they, they go. They he goes off with him. Right? Is that what happens? No, T- Tyrion doesn't go off anywhere. He ends the episode surrounded by swords. No, no, no. But um, they take him away, and they eventually take him to the Eyrie. And doesn't Bronn tag along? Bronn does go with yeah, Tyrion, Br- yes. So Bronn becomes interesting on the trip to the Eyrie, but he's right. in the show he's already. in this scene. Yeah. He doesn't do much, this, but man, I love that guy. So right. I, I, I rewatched the first three episodes, of course, before I watched this one, because... That was a short enough window to get caught up. Um, And it really surprised me how many first introductions of these characters that are more developed happens in this episode. You know, we have Gendry, we have Hodor, we have uh, Bronn, we have uh, Sam, kind Uh of. And like, it just was like, ooh, yay. It got all very excited. Yeah, so many characters. (laughs) Still being introduced. <laughs> All four episodes the in. characters. All right. So anyway, they, she she says, seize him. <laughs> he he came into my house and conspired to murder my son. And thus begins the uh, machinations, the political fallout that will lead to many, many, many bad things happening in Westeros. Dun, dun, dun. Here comes war. Yeah. But not the one you were expecting. And that's it. That's it for this episode. Uh, Kathy, what'd you think of it? I enjoyed it. Um, The second rewatch um, is, you know, I know what's happening. Of course, I had read the books, um, but I apparently blocked out more of the books uh, than I realized upon watching the show. Um, But it's really nice to know, okay, yep, they're dead. They're still innocent. Look at how young, look at the babies. Oh my gosh, (laughs) the Starks are so young. They're just little and innocent. And the dogs as well, the dire wolves, dogs, they're dogs. They're dogs. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it was, yeah, it was really good. And I am very happy that I get to take part in this rewatch thing. (laughs) <laughs> Hooray. Monty, how about you? Um, 
once Tyrion is arrested, now the show's going to start. I feel like we spent four episodes of preparation. Now everything is people overreacting to each other and just making bad decision upon <laughs> bad decision upon bad decision. Here we go. Yep, and off we will go. We will go down the road again next week with, guess what? Season 1, Episode 5. But until then, I want to thank my fellow compatriots traveling down this road, stopping at these inns, occasionally having to pledge our (laughs) service because our uncle knows a guy who was saved by a Stark. And so, yeah, okay, I guess I got to get my sword out now. Uh, Monty Ashley, thank you for being here. Thank you, Jason. And Kathy Campbell, thanks for being on. Thanks, Jason. You did a great Brian. Good job. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I've been Jason Snell, and we will see you next week with more Game of Thrones. Goodbye. Goodbye.